Hey, before we get into this episode with David Joyce, I wanted to shoot you guys a couple updates. Since we recorded this episode, which was quite some time ago, David has actually left his position at the Giants. A big goal of David's long term was to be able to have greater flexibility to consult and work with and learn from other organizations around the world. And if you've ever had the pleasure of meeting David, you would understand why. This man has a mind that is absolutely unparalleled in its ability to learn, retain, tactically package information, and then also provide some of the most thoughtful feedback of any human being I have ever met. So David is now involved with Elite Sport Leadership. He is a strategy consultant, which it's funny, I find that a lot of my friends in the States always kind of get uh, consultant this and this, you know, guys, listen, we live in a world that is more interconnected than ever before. And we learn primarily from networks. So if you're seeking answers or solutions or interacting with other people at any level, guess what? You're a consultant. So uh, you can reach David at the following email and we'll make sure as always and put it in the show notes for you. So don't stress if you can't write it down. We want you to be safe. It's david at theperformanceunion.com. Again, david at theperformanceunion.com. Dot com. I've also included his Twitter down there. Again, if you have the chance to ever learn from or interact with David Joyce, you will not regret it. And this episode will show you why. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. All right, easy episode to roll into. I have my friend, David Joyce on the phone today or on the podcast, however you want to look at it. And David's somebody that I've looked up to for a long time. He's by far one of the most thoughtful, eloquent, strategic, curious, and pragmatic individuals I know. And I'm going to try to let him, and this is probably a good way to operate on most of these episodes, but especially on this one, I'm going to let David do most of the talking. David, welcome to the show. How are you, brother? Happy birthday. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks, man. I appreciate you coming on and being willing to spend some time with us. I know the the time difference from Atlanta to Sydney is a brutal one. <laughs> yeah, well, it's actually not too bad here. So it's it's match day for us. So I'm, I'm usually up fairly early, even though we play fairly late at night. So no, nah, all good, mate. All good. Fair play. Well, I know there people have interviewed you on a number of different platforms, but do you want to do a brief background so people can get context and orient themselves before I start launching in with some of the questions I've I've wondered for a while now. Yeah, sure. So um, my my role, um, my professional role is as a as the head of athletic performance at the Greater Western Sydney Giants Football Club in the AFL, based in Sydney. Um, and my remit sort of spans working with a team that that looks after um, sports medicine, sports science, strength and conditioning, recovery, psychology, nutrition. Um, and and rehabilitation. So it's, I guess, my the way I think about my role is that I try and leverage the talents of the people that are in my team to uh, provide the coaching staff with a, a fit, healthy, 
strong, stable and resilient bunch of, of footballers. And and then uh, on top of that is the there's the that that's I guess the operational and technical piece. And then there's the the broader cultural leadership piece, which which I I do as well. So. Um, my background, I initially trained as a physiotherapist um, 20-odd years ago. I did a master's in sports physiotherapy on top of that, and then I did a master's in, in strength and conditioning as well. So my my some, some physios are really gifted with their hands and the like. That's never been my strong suit. I've always been someone that has... Uh, resonated much more closely with strength coaches, load management, those sorts of things, and that's the that's the way I approach athletic performance. I suppose I'm I'm lucky enough that I've got a background across a, a couple of different areas. I'm I'm certainly not the world's greatest physio. I'm not the world's greatest strength coach. What I think I'm I'm pretty decent at is being able to explore various different facets of athletic performance, and hopefully, as I said earlier, be able to leverage the talents of those that that work around me. Um, on top of that, mate. Well, listen, I'm a, I'm a dad to an eight-month-old. Um, I'm a, a husband to a magnificent woman, and um, and hopefully, I'm a good friend to lots of people as well. So, that's me in a, in a nutshell. That's a good that's a good recap. Now, what's interesting, and I know you'll use perhaps a different verb to uh, really or adjective rather to describe this and. Uh, but your role, and this is for the people listening that, you know, one, it's different because, you know, AFL, there's going to be plenty of people listening that aren't aren't maybe as familiar with sure. that. But your role in general is something that I think more strength coaches that are listening need to strive to. It's funny, the majority of questions I get on social media is how do I become a strength coach for, you know, this team and that team? And it's just how do I get to be a head strength coach, head strength coach, where I think... Mm. I think for me, a strength coach is far more than we've been typecasted as in the media, in the media and, yeah, and yeah. even more so by ourselves. I look at strength coaches as CEOs, managers, leaders, but really that's that's your role, right? Because technically you oversee, and again, I, I know you may not like that word, but you oversee strength and conditioning, correct? And your role? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and like, go ahead. And, and essentially you're right. So and strength coaches, all of those things, as well as being a technician. Um, and at the start of your career, you're probably a little bit more technically biased, but as you progress in your career, uh, inevitably you become much more broader in your focus and a, a bit more divergent rather than convergent. So, um, but essentially, it depends on the the frame of reference that you hold for yourself. Because whilst you may be, uh, if you if you really dive down the rabbit hole you can you can be talking about actin and myosin and titan and those sorts of things but effectively what you're trying to do is guide people to be the best version of themselves and you're using the the gym or the track or or whatever as as the environment that you do that so some people some people pigeonhole themselves and say, "Oh, this is this is all I do." You know, I I, I get people to lift heavy things or run fast or, or whatever. But actually, um, it, I think it really does help to to take a ten thousand foot view and and be a little bit um, broader with with the um, with the scope of vision that that uh, that we hold for ourselves. Not something a lot of strength coaches or people in performance really like to do, right? We're, we're inherent skeptics. And so 
we tend to eschew the broad and want to get really specific. But I'd ask you this, in your role, what percentage of the problems you deal with on a daily basis are centered around communication as opposed to the technical nature of things? Mm, um, Well, I suppose in my role now, uh, huge amounts are centered around communication, whether that is trying to optimize the, the, the structures and the processes that we have for communication or being able to shepherd people to ensure that their communication is effective and whether that is speaking or listening um, and and being able to to send a message and be able to receive a message more broadly. So, I mean, it's very difficult to put a, a, a specific percentage on it, but certainly in my role now, it's, I would say it's probably 60 to 70%, I would have thought. And, and um, but then it gets down to if you, you can almost view strength coaching as communication, not quite exclusively, but the coaching aspect is is totally communication because you're not lifting the you're not lifting the rack um, or the bar for the athlete. You're you're motivating them. You're um, you're doing everything you can to allow them to do it, which you know forms which is the, the basis of communication. So, and it, you think that's easy? Um, no, and I think that's what separates. I think he's the real performance separator between the good and the great. Um, it's something that I've had to work a lot on. And funnily enough, I think one of the things that really, really helped me was working in China for for a period of time whereby I actually couldn't communicate in my normal method of you know speaking English to a lot of the athletes. So you actually really have to distill the key message and the best ways to communicate that. And once you, once you, once I went back into being able to coach in English, um, I, I found that um, what I was able to do was to, to really get to the essence of what I was trying to convey. I think it was a, a hugely important lesson for me. So do you think that one of the reasons it may be so easy for coaches at any age, really, because I think, I think communication is one of those things that affects people that are, you know, 20 plus year veterans, you know, and then people that just get into the field, any leadership position rather, you know, I don't always like to focus on strength and conditioning, you know, they tend to take it for granted. I just don't think that, you know, it's when you look at resumes, when you look at things like that, they might be like, wow, strong communication skills. Yeah. But by, by and large, it's always, you know, talking about their groups and their, you know, their knowledge and experience coaching and what have you. Why, why do you think it's such a taken-for-granted practice? Why do you think communication and the art of conflict resolution, even the art of persuasion or influence, I mean, why is it taken for granted? Why is it something that you just think maybe everybody thinks they're really good at? Did you think you were good at it You know, when you initially took this role? Has it forced you to really face some inadequacies? Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, I, um, it absolutely is taken for granted. It is one of those things that is in just about every resume, every job description, and every performance review. But the the simple fact of the matter is that a lot of people don't know what good really looks like. And I think what you've done better than anyone else in our field is bring to life the nuances of influence and persuasion. Um, you know, and that's it's really broadened my horizon into what all that means. And communication is not actually just giving your point of view, which is what a lot of people seem to think it is. Is you know, I, I say what I mean, I mean what I say. Well, that's an element 
but it is pretty blunt if you think that that's all communication is. Um, but because people don't understand it particularly well, at least, you know, the people that I've come across, including myself, um, it's, it's not something that gets mentored, gets chaperoned particularly well. So there's a there's an element of you don't know what good looks like, but you've also not been taught what good looks like. So, um, and, and I don't think we put a particularly strong framework around it in terms of how we cultivate it, how we place the guide rails in to ensure that good communication is A, recognised and B, delivered. So um, I think we do that pretty well with the formal education piece about you know, rate of force development, things that are pretty easy to witness. Um, but the communication piece, I, I don't think we do particularly well. Um, now, you asked another part of the question, which was um, about conflict resolution. And I think there are probably the vast majority of people don't like conflict. There are some people that go and seek it. There are many people that are not necessarily particularly afraid of it, but there are not that many people that are adept at being able to um, recognise when it happens, recognise the root causes for the conflict, be able to sit inside someone else's head and and empathetically understand their motivations for the conflict and then be able to, to sort of untangle the web as to the best way to to resolve it so that is a huge skill i believe that just about every bit of workplace and probably home life conflict occurs because of a misplacing expectations um and you know wherever possible like the the the, the best uh, i suppose strategy to employ for conflict resolution is to is to ensure that everyone is singing off the same hymn sheet. And once you can do that and you align expectations, I think that that eliminates a lot of conflict. Um, but, again, you know, we, we, don't, we don't tend to like hurting people's feelings. We, um, we tend to run a, a million miles and, and put our head in the sand about conflict, and, and which makes, obviously, everything worse. So... Um, yeah. Another another part of the communication piece that we all need to improve upon. Yeah, I think you bring up some interesting points. I think one thing in particular, it's funny, is uh, <laughs> there's always conflict with listeners in terms of there's people immediately that will turn off or just quit listening to any podcast that isn't going to dive immediately into what they think they struggle with in the moment. And what I found is in the consumption society that we live in, right, where everybody wants to stream the newest episode, everybody needs to read the latest book, and then everybody needs to tell each other what they're reading. There's still a lot of uh, inability to really follow through on a call to action. Like think what you just said, right? Like regarding conflict resolution, how many of you listening right now could pull out a piece of paper and a pen and write down five clear ways that you handled conflict within the last 48 hours? Like you could describe the conflict, you could define it, you could talk about what you did, what you did right, wrong, you know, what have you. Uh, what maybe the other person was thinking versus what you perceive them to be thinking and then that, how they handle it. I think perhaps the only thing people struggle with more than, than wanting to study this is even being aware or reflective about where they deal with it. And that's why they turn this stuff off, right? Like they squatted yesterday or they probably deadlifted or cleaned sometime this week. 
And they're always forced to think about that because they have this PR that they want to write down or they want to beat or they want to help an athlete to achieve. And those reflections are in front of them daily where people don't tend to do that with communication. They don't have a reflective journal or resource that they write down. Like, where did I suck today as a leader in terms of verbal, nonverbal? And, but to a degree, David, like, where is this kind of heresy? I mean, from the standpoint that you, in my opinion, wrote and like really spearheaded, because I know other people uh, wrote this with you, but you oversaw and created one of the best books, I think, in our field for performance training, high performance training for sports, which that came out in 2014, correct? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so high performance training for sports, and this is going to all get people just lobbing aspersions and and insults at me for this, but like I'm somebody that thinks that a book like that is even more valuable than super training. And for everybody that immediately, oh, like for me, like super training for sure, like that's a textbook, that's that's a Bible everybody's got to have. And every strength coach will swear that they've read it cover to cover <laughs> in this. But the funny thing is, is, very few people know this. And Dan Noble, if you're listening, I appreciate you pointing this out to me. And the proof to substantiate it actually is, you know, super training wasn't written the way that the original author really intended. A lot of it was... Uh, you know, people, th- there was conflict with, with Mel Sith and, and Verkashansky and uh, Verkashansky saying like, this is not what was meant to be here. The, the point is, is there's so much in that text that's rich, but I'm not sure every coach understands it clearly because there's debate as whether it was even translated the way that it was supposed to be. Whereas your book, like, you know, high performance training for sports, that was very clearly delineated and laid out in a way that was a blend of science and true pragmatism, mm. you know, like, and there was so much that is not left to the just ambiguous suggestion of something else. But it's funny because within that book, which is a book on how to really make and create more effective strength and conditioning professionals, even in that there's nothing on real, like true communication, right? Like was, was there a piece in there? That I'm missing? Um, no, not not an explicit piece, and that's that's one of the things that we're so we're we're currently embarking upon the process of the the second edition, and you're absolutely right. That was that was the it's, it's that sort of glue work, the glue chapters that I call them, that are, are going to be found in the next edition. Um, so yeah, there, there's going to be updates to all of the chapters there's going to be several new chapters but the, i think the the biggest change in in the book is for for the second edition are going to be these these more nuanced pieces about how we we tie it all together there's lots of books out there about how to get strong and how to get fast and things um but really this is a coaching book and we understand that coaching is about relaying the message, not just understanding the the technical details. But you're absolutely spot on. Well, my point with that was not to point out an omission or something, you know, that was, oh, how silly is it that you didn't like, because when I read the book, I gobbled that up. And I I don't even think I noticed that being missing, right? And that's why I eventually wrote Conscious Coaching, because I, you know, later on, I'm like, oh, man, like, what doesn't seem to be covered? Like, I've always been passionate about this. But it's what also brought us together, right? Because I think you and I, we've traveled, we've been fortunate enough to see each other in different parts of the world yeah. and talk and, yeah. and detail. I think, I think my concern with that was is, and you said it perfectly, you know, there, there's all this stuff out there that teaches us what to coach, but there's largely been omissions of how to coach. Sure. And I think you're somebody that is in such a unique situation because you see so many people come through your organization or go to the conferences that you speak at 
and all these things, yet so much of what you're able to do is really decided in, in meetings with coaches and meetings with athletes and meetings with other professionals. So by and large, even though these assessments, even though, you know, medical history and all that will dictate the training modalities, it's really communication that dictates how everything's implemented. Yet nobody wants to face their inadequacies there. How hard was that for you, you know, to really pinpoint some things that you felt like you struggled as a communicator to really sit down and say, okay, I've got to double down and work on this in my role. Was that, was that difficult for you? Is it difficult for you? And how did you do it? Yeah. Um, so I, can I just, um, backtrack just a touch yeah. and you, you mentioned something about, you know, that there's not much out there on coaching. And I, I think there might not be out much out there in coaching in the pedagogy that, that we get. Um, yeah. but actually if you look at, in the business fields, if you look in the, um, the, the parenting fields, if you have a look in the, uh, the teaching field. There's loads on coaching, as, as you know. So there's 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 absolutely stacks on business coaching, and I'm I'm going through this process at the moment. You're going, and and whilst it might be written about executives or you know Fortune 500 companies or whatever, I am going. That is absolutely applicable to this situation that I am facing in the gym at the moment, because we're dealing with human performance. It's just that our our context, our environment for human performance is in the weight room. So um, precisely, and and that's that's what I mean is it's out there, but nobody's translated it and brought it in because I think that that's really you said it earlier. It's taken for granted, but it's also hard. I think it's hard for people to face the fact that they're inadequate communi- Like we're all inadequate communicators. You don't want people don't want to take blame for things. People don't want to say I'm sorry. People don't want to take the time to understand how their word choice or the way they deliver something could influence an outcome. Do you think that plays a role at all? Or do you just think people, they get caught up in only reading what they feel comfortable with or what's right in front of their face? I think you're right in both aspects. Like I've got a, I've got a firm belief that you shouldn't read everything you believe. And what we (laughs) tend to do is, is just, is read things that everyone else is reading. Um, You know, and that's, well, that's that's human nature. Like we we the, the, we we do read things that confirm our own biases, you know. Um, right. And the and the more you read that, the more they can confirm the biases, and the harder it is to read something which is a counterpoint to it. Um, but equally, we don't know what we don't know. I don't think people are out there maliciously avoiding the the coaching or the the communication sure. piece. They just it, it's not been curated in a way that that is readily accessible for us now this is something and i and i don't want to piss in your pocket here if i'm allowed to say that on your show Brent, yeah but, you can say whatever but, you want <laughs> so. um so this is something that i think you are absolutely exceptional at is being able to um shine light in dimly lit corners whereby you go well what is the bit that's missing I think a, a lot of people, myself included, try and, you know, just go down the linear path. I've read this book, therefore I'm going to read that book where I'm going to read the next book. And and there's a very cogent narrative through all of those books, which is, which is good at giving depth. But instead of being, I, I think a, a lot of people tend to be a mile deep and an inch wide. 
um, yeah. what what you are absolutely exceptional at, and and others like you, I think um, Winkleman's really good at this. I think um, my mate Sam Robertson um, is exceptional at this. Is being able to cast the net broadly and say, right, well, um, we we talk about coaching, we talk about communication where does this better than us and be able to to draw in um you know things from behavioral psychology and things and this is uh, and i don't want to embarrass you here because i know this probably will embarrass you but you you are absolutely exceptional at this and 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 looking looking for the gaps in our knowledge and how to best to exploit this and then it's not necessarily going down the the hackneyed route that that we often tend to so um it, it it it's a it's born of a, a natural curiosity about these sorts of things that that I think you possess and and something that I I you know I I, I get role modelled by you for myself so um, it's as a to go back to my point I don't think it's malicious or, or it, it's just it's kind of innocent ignorance if you like I like that way of phrasing and thanks for the compliment I usually try to. Something I'm working on this year is actually hearing compliments because I'm really self-critical. And I think we've talked about this too. And I caught myself in the past, you know, with humility being such an overlying theme and and things that I believe in. And I know many in our field believe in, you tend to just brush off a compliment and you think that that makes you appear gracious and humble when really oftentimes I've learned can come off as rude. And so that was even a communication thing I've worked on is like actually hearing a compliment. Now I will say this, the only reason if I've excelled at that at all in general is because I... I sat down and and really like just absolutely wrote off all the things I felt like I sucked at as a communicator. And I made myself face them. And I argued with myself. I tried defending my bias and certain things, all of this before the book and some of it even after. I mean, if I get in an argument with my wife, I'll write down and say, what do I feel like I'm right about? What do I feel like I'm wrong about? Or, you know, you've just got to be really argumentative with yourself. And I think that that's that's hard for coaches because they're too busy arguing with everybody else. Uh, right? It's this feel where like you're not arguing with yourself because every coach thinks every other coach tends to suck, at least here in the States a lot of times. But I want to steal a word that you use that brings me to something I've been dying to ask you for a long time. And I want to say for this episode, you mentioned the word curiosity, which I think is incredibly important as a coach. And you are one of the most inherently curious and thus knowledgeable people because you – go an inch and a mile deep, you know, and, and wide, what drives your curiosity, both in general and in relation to your subject matter that you research, that you lecture on any of this. I'm I, that's always fascinated me because you come up with these stories and, and the facts to support them. And just, you're one of the best conversationalists I know. So could you elaborate on curiosity? Um, yeah. I, I don't know why I'm curious. I probably I think it's probably been role modelled by my parents and the people that I'm closest to. Like the, the the people that I'm absolutely closest to, the ones that I would want to be delivering a, a a speech at my funeral, are all childlike in their um, curiosity and willingness to learn and 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 gain great delight in 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 learning so so that i think that's been role modeled equally um i think that i've got a realization that i'm not going that i'm not the the world's best sports scientist i'm not the world's best strength coach i'm not the world's best sports medicine provider um but 
so so in order to be the best version of myself, I need to be able to find ways to exploit my talents and to be able to to um, to to bring all these worlds together. And that's what I believe I'm good at is bringing these these worlds together. Um, and, and being able to leverage the talent and knowledge and expertise of other people uh, in, in a team sort of framework. And I think that it is a, a self-perpetuating cycle that when you learn something, I get a, you know, a big um, serotonin rush and, you know, I get a, I, when a light bulb goes off in my head or I'm able to explore something that hasn't necessarily been linked before, um, I, I feel a reward from that and, you know, some people feel a reward from playing something on the violin or, or working out a complex maths problem or, or, or whatever. So I'm not good enough to do those sorts of things. But the way I get my, my, um, my happy chemical rush is by exploring things which are related or applicable to our field but haven't really been um, sort of... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, haven't really been exploited in the in the detail that it could be, or that there's a new avenue to run. So it, it is a self perpetuating cycle, and you know the the more I do it, and you get these sorts of rewards, and um, by you know by increasing your knowledge, or or you know people saying that's that's a good job, and then you know that that's that's habit formation that's that's the basis of of habit formation it's 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 cue response so i i it's i don't think there's ever one particular moment that someone becomes curious or introverted or or, or whatever but uh I, I think that's the it's the that's the context behind it i appreciate and do you think that with that though that curiosity can drive or improve one's creativity uh, yeah, I think they feed off each other. So creative people tend to be curious and and curious people are often creative just because they're absorbing so many different inputs from seemingly disparate fields. So um, I, I think they're, they're pretty close cousins. And the reason I was asking that, and I, I wanted to really survey some of the people out there that listen and other coaches out there that are curious is, you know, one of the things I work on um, as part of my doctoral work is, is coaching evaluations and looking at the, what's out there and, and trying to figure out what coaches in a variety of different circumstances can use to enhance their practice. And I remember I surveyed a number of coaches and they're all going to remain nameless. So no worries if you were involved in the survey, I'm going to respect your privacy. <laughs> one of the things I asked them is, and this is the question verbatim, is creativity something you grade or evaluate your staff or other coaches on? Why or why not? And I'm going to share some of the responses here, and then I'd love to kind of hear yours, you know, so that you have fair context to build off of. Mm. And these were all very brief, right? So one said, yes, um, the ability to understand principles and then create and adapt on those principles, to me, is a key quality of a high-level coach. So that was one response. One, another one was, no, creativity is not something I specifically look for. However, I do believe, or it is something I note as a skill. I don't really grade or evaluate coaches on this because it's something I'm lacking myself. And I recognize that. And I, you know, I don't really identify with being a high level coach. So that's hard for me to say if, if that's something that they should have. There's two more responses I'm going to share. One says, I believe creativity, creativity is hugely important. No matter the age or level on the athlete or of the athlete, 
they will often become bored or disinterested with training at different times. And if a coach is able to keep them engaged, whether that's games, competitions, different programming strategies, engagement's always going to drive more effort and thus ideally more uh, results. And then finally, there was a coach that said no. And it was an emphatic no at that. Creativity is not important for any kind of performance results. New methods are from knowledge, not creativity. And so I wanted to share that because there's a good kind of, there's a wide swath Mm. or at least a 50-50 split. Mm. What role, if any, do you think creativity plays within the leadership process in the performance setting or coaching in general? Uh, Well, it's something that I I value extremely highly. Uh, I I don't know that I formally assess it um, in in myself or my staff, but I recognize it when I see it. Um, So you recognize its value. You think it is valuable. Oh, it's absolutely critical. Um, You know, so uh, um, I I don't agree with the the last um, comment about, you know, that it's, um, what what was it? Something about um, is built on. All right. I need to pause for a moment to tell you about something that has been super helpful to me. If you've listened to me on podcasts or anything before, you know that I'm not somebody that sleeps uh, easily, right? Like the, that's probably the one part of my quote unquote routine that I struggle with the most. It, it kind of runs in my family. I've talked about it before on this podcast. We, like, I just have trouble shutting my brain off. And so when I was looking for something, everything gave me uh, you know, a morning hangover. I couldn't take anything with certain amounts of melatonin. And I, you know, I'm somebody that doesn't want to get into pharmaceutical means. And then our sponsor, Momentus, told us about something they were creating, sleep nighttime recovery, that is is a really tremendous product that is both NSF and informed sport approved, licensed, certified, all that. And it is something that has just the right amount of melatonin, just the right amount of magnesium, everything that I need to naturally kind of drift to sleep, especially when I'm on planes. I don't sleep really well on planes when I'm traveling. Uh, And this has been a game changer for me. It's real simple, guys. Just go to livemomentous.com, check out their sleep nighttime recovery, and be sure to use code BRETT20 to receive a 20% discount. Again, BRETT20. 20 will get you a discount on all things momentous. All right, back to the episode. I'll repeat it. Yeah. So verbatim, it was no creativity is not a component of performance results. New methods and the results basically of performance are from knowledge, not creativity. Yeah. So the um, performance is uh, knowledge. Knowledge is no doubt a part of performance, but in order to advance knowledge, you know, the, science science is rarely about a, a big, completely novel break, breakthrough. You know, just about every scientific discovery has been an iteration of something that's happened in the past and, and someone just running a slightly different angle. Um, and that different angle requires creativity, it requires creative thought, it, it requires understanding that you, our knowledge is not particularly complete or it can be advanced upon. So, um, But equally, if I put myself in the, the shoes of an athlete, I don't want to be doing exactly the same thing at exactly the same time all the time for my entire career. There does need to be uh, a, an element of shaking things up, creating interest and, and buying and motivation and, and and that creativity doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be 
you know, squatting on a on a BOSU ball or, or things like that. But it 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 can be a, a very simple shift in in how we program. That that's all creativity. Um, creativity. Do you think even coaching presence plays a role in there, David? Oh, like yeah. body language, yeah, and all that. Well, of course it does, absolutely. And um, you know, you want to be in 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 the gym. We're wanting people to to reach and to go to go into pretty uncomfortable places because that's where we know the growth is, right? Um, and uh, it's it's just so much easier if you've got someone in your corner being able to motivate you. And, and motivation is not just by yelling. It is it is about. Um, in fact, it's very rarely about yelling. I, I believe it's it's about presence it's about body language it's about putting an arm around the shoulder when it's required but giving a a hit on the bum at other times when it's required it's it's being able to seek the nuances and and understand someone and 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 that is that's creative that's the in your brain you're, you're thinking about ways to to get a performance outcome which is greater than what the the athlete can do by themselves so uh, look, I think I think it's a hugely important thing, and um, if we didn't have some creative thought, we wouldn't have, you know, our athletes using GPS. We wouldn't have the concept of UFC. You know, all, all these things that it's it's all the it's all the spin off. It's all the product of creative thought. Yeah, I think you bring up some extra and excellent points, especially as it pertains to instructional style and advancing knowledge and more importantly, problem solving. Cause I think this is the thing that most people miss is coaching is not a, a predictable kind of sequence of events where everything happens out of pure rationality. Mm. And I think, you know, inherently to solve problems, which is something that our athletes in the think AFL, right. I know that the mass amount of running done in that sport, but there's tons of change of direction and agility components. What, you could easily make an argument that the many maneuvers and uh, many different various forms of cuts, spins, you know, just tactical components of what an athlete does as a function of their creativity, not just one's efficiency of how do I get, you know, to to this spot on the, the pitch or the field or, or ice, whatever the sport is, you know, but creativity is displayed by our athletes daily in, in leadership problem solving. But I wanted to build off of what you said additionally, because when we did talk about this is another survey I'd sent out to these coaches about instructional style. And they, they reiterated a lot of what you said, David, you know, everything from, you know, listen, if you've got to make sure that there's anything from your tone and, and the enthusiasm and the verbal and nonverbal things you project and, and the strategies you seek around this are important because at the end of the day, and one of them said this, well, they said, it's a huge turnoff for me just as another coach to simply listen to another coach lecture or regurgitate all their knowledge, let alone the athletes. Uh, but then the coach that had said creativity wasn't important, uh, you know, he said, well, I'm not really keen on style. That to me is not important from a coaching or instruction or leadership standpoint. It's substance for me. Uh, my first question is, does the coach actually even have the audience's attention? Um, that covers approach, presence, and content. And for me, you know, I, I would say that getting somebody's attention takes creativity. And so not to pick, not to pick on this coach, but I, I think it's worth taking those answers and not worrying about whether we agree or disagree of saying like, whatever your stance is, like, could you be wrong? You know, like maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, you know, maybe you and I are wrong. Maybe you don't have to be creative and, and it, it obviously is going to matter in context and the situation and no two coaches should coach alike. I don't think 
I think that's one of the biggest failures I've noticed in the research is a lot of the evaluations out there kind of uh, typify or idealize a certain kind of coach. And I don't think that that fits, but I, you know, I, I think creativity is an underrated skill. And I think that I, I don't think it's just substance. I think that it's style um, as well. Otherwise, why would people go to different restaurants, right? Why would people yeah. uh, buy different kinds of artwork for millions of dollars value in, in general subjective? But is there anything else you, you care to kind of just riff on there? Because you brought up some really excellent points. Yeah, um, you, I mean, your point about maybe we're wrong is is absolutely right. Um, I, I believe that my, um, my my belief is right for me at this moment. Yeah, but that, that's that's based on that's based on my past, my environment, all those sorts of things. These are things that I believe in. But you know, um, Einstein proved much of Newtonian physics wrong. So mm. we, we, we thought the Newtonian physics was absolutely, you know, that was just a truth. Um, and then someone comes along and goes, well, maybe this is not quite right. And then, then people come around and go, well, maybe Einstein isn't quite right. Um, it's, it's what I believe is the truth for me at the moment. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I mean, who? Go, who no, keep going. Who, who knows? Maybe, maybe it's going to come out that creativity is not important. I can't see that being the case. But um, you know, the the, the person that, that wrote that um, that answer, it, it, creativity is not not important for them at the moment. And, right. And that's not to say they're a bad person, a bad coach, or, or whatever. That's just. It, maybe they're at a stage of their career where they're they're trying to master the the granular details of coaching and you know foot placement here and hand placement there, and 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 may, maybe for for him or her there's the the creative process or, or being able to to challenge norms is not the right thing for them at this stage of their career. But as they go on, maybe maybe it becomes a little bit more important. I I, I simply don't know the context for that person. No, no, that's that's excellent. I mean, and and this even coincides with mentoring, right? Like and like the challenge with mentoring or coaching or leading and and a lot of these things of interplay is never to ignore, play down, or or discredit somebody else's personal knowledge or experience. Uh, it's really to kind of take that and elevate and build upon it, right? Like that's why I've always said coaching to me is part improv. If you look at the the great improv troops yeah, and, yeah. and the, you know, Second City, being a great comedian was never about you stealing the show. It's about elevating, right? Yeah, like take what yeah. somebody gives you and elevate it, like bump set spike in volleyball. And that's why I think creativity is important is you've got to take something that somebody has, you know, presented in the moment and you've got to, you look at it 360 degrees and, uh, you talked about environment. It's funny within the research, and I'll probably botch this a little bit, but it hit spot on with what you said. So kudos with that is, you know, a lot of the literature in coaching science suggests that, you know, successful coaching practitioners are always going to be those who are capable of adapting their instructional behaviors. And again, you could instructional, it could be leadership behaviors, whatever, like, but the most successful people in this field are capable of adapting their instructional behaviors to meet the unique demands of the local environment. And that was, there's a 2000 article by, I think it was Robin Jones and one in 1999 and 2000, but they just say it really well there. You've got to adapt your instructional behaviors. And my question is just this, and I want people to, to prove me wrong. Like I'm not saying my question is, and then I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm right about it. I just want to hear why somebody would think it's not important 
to adapt your instructional behavior to meet the environment of the moment. I mean, it's something Daniel Kahneman talked about. Like we are always influenced by the environment of the moment. You can't talk to a nine-year-old like you do mm. a 22-year-old AFL you know, player. And it just gets tricky there. But well, you know, it's, it's, I, you're, poss- it's, it's possible that um, people who don't believe creativity is important have got just a, a slightly different understanding or definition of what creativity means. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask you next. And you hit that spot on is I think a lot of it comes down to what's the definition of this? Yeah. You know, what is the definition of creativity? Just like we look at intensity and I always go back to this example, right? Like we understand intensity as the, the, you know, the load lifted, right? It's a function of that load, that relative intensity, but you know, you go to popular media and, oh, an intense workout is running around and getting tired. And, yeah. you know, so but, you know, we'll save that one for another time. And I think that's great. And, and I appreciate you engaging on that. I do want to go to kind of something else that I've always been curious about you. And you always make me, <laughs> this is a way that you always elevate me and, and try to make me better at something. And you probably don't even know that you do it. You are easily one of the most eloquent individuals I've ever met. And it, it is clear to me that to some degree, like you're very good at this process of, you know, I look at it as three stages. When you interact with people, you're going to observe, you're going to absorb, and then you're going to interact, right? It's kind of like you're you're discovering, you're deciding, you're decoding, and then you're delivering. But you are so eloquent at putting things in, in unique ways that they almost kind of get etched into your memory. I almost don't forget anything you say when you present or we have a conversation because it's just like imprinted. Do you actively work on, you know, your lexicon, your speaking ability, and if so, and even if you don't, what role does the improvement of that skill play in your career and in your relationships? Oh, thank you very much. But I, um, I, I've always I've enjoyed reading, and I was good at English at school, and you know I sort of went down that path much more than the the maths side of things. Um, I, I enjoy. I enjoy reading fiction. I enjoy reading challenging uh, books, and I enjoy interacting and having conversations with articulate, erudite people such as yourself. So uh, I think that's uh, you know we talk about culture. That's the culture that I'm involved in. You know, I I, I enjoy that. What I do take really strong steps to to raise my awareness of it is getting the message across, which, you know, gets back to that communication piece we discussed earlier. And the way I would speak to a nine-year-old is going to be very different to the way I speak to a uh, a 21-year-old professional footballer with very little formal education. But I do think that coaching is is being able to connect with, with everyone and meet them where they're at. You know, it's the height of arrogance to suggest that everyone is going to share my um, my communication style, and and therefore I need to adapt to other people because that's what that's what coaching is. Whether that is whether that's coaching athletes, whether that's coaching kids, whether that's coaching you know your colleagues, whatever it is, in order to make other people great, which is my you know vision for my life, I need to be able to meet them at their level. Um, so in, in terms of the, the speaking piece, yeah, I, I, I practice a lot and I try and refine my message so that when, when people leave a presentation that I've given, 
um, they their knowledge is more advanced than what it was previously, or that they have generated some questions, um, or that it's confirmed something. That, that you you want them to be changed from what they were forty five minutes pr- uh, prior when they when you first started speaking. So. I try and distill, you know, probably three or four key messages and then build a narrative, a cogent story around the um, the, the, the key points that I want to, to elicit. And I think you're really good at that. I think someone like um, Dave Epstein is in, incredible at that. Um, there's, there's Red, Red Larson is in, incredible at it. They're, they're people that, that, I look up to as being able to invoke, well, not just be able to relay information, but to invoke an emotion because the emotion is what makes the the information stick. So you you everything you want to do, you you want to be adhesive. You want the key points to be adhesive, and 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 that requires an emotional connect. So that's what I try and do with when I'm speaking or when I'm writing or whether I'm interacting with with anyone. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, I mean, you really paint a picture of great communication being the connective tissue, you know, of, of what we do. And I think that spoke what what you said there spoke perfectly. I think to what always captivated me to your to your style is each moment is not really distinct. It's rather that it's always contains connections to an ongoing narrative. And I think that's something to your point, fiction does really well, right? Like well, there, good, there's good fiction these does. good fiction. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Good fiction. And, and that's perhaps a limiter. And I know it was a limiting factor. I always tell people don't trust anybody that doesn't tell you their failures. I probably didn't read enough fiction early enough in my career. Cause everything, you know, you're just in this informational, oh, everything's got, if I go on a walk, it's gotta be a podcast about strength and conditioning. If I'm reading anything, it's gotta be a journal article. If I'm doing this and you know, it really is your ability to learn from other great storytellers, which is how so much information was initially passed down from generation to generation with human beings. That That's not out of date. Um, and I know for me, for a long time, I used sports science or technical jargon, you know, to kind of convince people when I was a young strength coach and I knew what I was doing, you wanted them to feel comfort, right? Like, so you retreated behind knowledge, you know, and, and it was like, you know, I'm a young guy, I was working with high level athletes. I didn't have a beard at the time. So I'd always retreat behind knowledge and I'd, I'd always fixate solely on their physical aspects of, of, of training to, that's all I'd talk about. But it wasn't until I started talking about movies or books and have you watched the wire? Have you done this? That these guys would be like, what? Like (laughs) you watch that. Like, have you had moments like that with your athletes where maybe you, I don't know, recited a movie quote or a song lyric or anything and immediately, and it doesn't have to be those things. Feel free to elaborate. But like immediately that formed a connection point with somebody that like there was maybe a little bit of friction, distrust or a wall up with before. Oh, absolutely. But I think what you're describing there is 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 an evolution that your your initial focus on knowledge acquisition was not wrong because that has given you the technical expertise that you now hold. But what happens as you as you if you're a reflective practitioner is that you become more refined you add layers of okay so now i've got this i've got this knowledge how do i translate it well i translate it by by being on the same level as someone how do i get on the same level as someone well i i i look for stories or song lyrics or or lines from the simpsons to to 
generate that spark of engagement and thereby be able to impart the knowledge. And that's what I was sort of alluding to in my previous answer is, is being able to take someone on a journey and to do that, you've got to meet them at the place that they're at. Um, so, so, you know, digging, digging the well in, in terms of getting the technical knowledge is absolutely, absolutely not the, it's the right thing to be doing. It just can't be the only thing that you do. Um, well, and you can't retreat behind it and use it as your primary form of communication, right? There's got to be, and I want to speak to the listeners here because we try to give them a practical piece and I want you to kind of build off this and give your tips because this is something that I know uh, Andrew Barnard always said you were always really, really strong at. And I've never had the privilege to be managed by you, but uh, feel free to kind of riff off this any way you want. I feel like if if everybody took out a piece of paper or their phone or whatever it is you want to do and you you literally wrote on one side, you know, relational quotient, and then on the other part, like informational or educational quotient, uh, and and you drew a line underneath and said, like, hey, what are examples of communication you use with your athletes or or people that you work with that uh, feed the re- relational quotient? Like, how how much are you talking about things that matter to them or using metaphors that resonate with them? Just speaking to their world, and then you know list how many times you're using more of the informational or educational quotient of you giving them information from your world and see where that ratio is. Like, cause in the book I talked about in conscious coaching, I talked about that with like uh, there's content forms of communication, which is like, that's, that's the message that you're delivering. And then there's a relational form, which is like how you're delivering it. But like, it's almost like pushing and pulling ratios. I feel like it's a skew for so many. Do you think that would be a useful exercise or could you share a useful exercise that you've used internally uh, if you are allowed to share that, that that has helped kind of your staff form more cohesion as communicators? Yeah. Uh, look, I think for me, I, as a fairly brunt, blunt picture, I would say for me it's probably 70-30, 70 relational and and 30 um, specific. Now, That's helpful. Now, uh, but it depends on the person that I'm dealing with. Like it, it might be 90-10 for someone that I don't have a relationship with. Um, so I, I need to invest heavily in the relationship piece to, to, to engender, to develop the trust because it's once you've got trust that you can lean on, that, that, that you open up their, their reception to the, the technical detail that you actually want to yeah. to. Um, to deliver, but someone that I've got much more of a relationship with, it might drop down to 60, 40. It, it, mm. it almost never would go below 50, 50. Um, but it depends on what stage I'm at with, with my relationship building with, with the person. Now, um, I, I've got a, a list of, of every one of my athletes and every one of my staff on, on my wall. And, and I'm a little bit, strategic about this and it sounds a bit cold or or calculating but i will i will mark who i want to have a conversation with that week and go right she's you know what i haven't spoken to to brett for a little while about how his family's going or you know to talk to me about things outside of our specific technical organizational needs you know my performance needs so I will go and do that, but once I'm satisfied that I've 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 reconnected, I've I've rekindled that fire, then I can go right. Well, now now the scene is set for me to be able to talk about the specifics of your recovery strategy that I'm not happy with. 
Does that kind of make sense? So yeah, I think it's I think it's a fluid and a dynamic um, shift of of where that that ratio lies, dependent on the state of the relationship at any one particular time. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. I mean, listen, communication is a goal and outcome oriented behavior, just like periodization, program design, and anything like that is right. Like communication, everybody communicates in a way that there's a desired outcome. And sometimes that desired outcome may just be, I want to tell you something. I want to get a reaction out of you. I want to relate to you. I want to prove something to you. You can be anything. The list goes on and on. And again, it speaks to why I wanted to get your take on that is because you use skilled interpersonal communication as a strategy, which is how it's intended, right? And that goes back to when people used to draw on caves, like they're telling pictures, they're telling stories, but those stories facilitated, sometimes they were warnings or sometimes it was them trying to make sense of the world around them. And it's just this critical construct of where's that gone? Like, where's that gone in our world? And like, how has that affected coach practitioners? I'd argue that it, it affects them heavily. And it's ironic because we live in a time where there's more information now than ever. There's more ways to get connected more than ever, but people suck at really creating connections more than ever because there's that lack of, of self-awareness, which again is, is a piece that I think you, you, you do better than most. And I hope a lot of people reach out and kind of want to learn to you from, you know, when do you, there's, there's a couple more things I've taken a lot of your time, but I think that you're also really good at not just communicating, not just, not just being able to decipher, you know, different different elements from your curiosity and what may be pragmatic and what might just lead to another unique kind of exploration of an activity or what have you. I think you're really good at prioritizing stuff in general. And I will use stuff vaguely because you're, you're good at so many of these things of, of being able to package like what's important now and, and what aligns with my values now. And especially having, you know, Matilda and Kay, and I'm sure that's only heightened that for you. This is a tough question to answer, but when do you know it's time to walk away from something? I just, and I just want to, I want to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm asking you this question because so many people talk about goals, right? And I think goals are important. That's great. Like we always talk about what we want to strive for too. I'd kind of like to know your opinion on the opposite. Like when is it time to walk away from something? When actually should somebody maybe give up? And I'm going to use those terms purposefully because I think they hit, they hit people hard. When, yeah. when would you walk away from something? Um, so, on the spot, so, I know. Yeah, no, no. So my, my reality is going to be different to other people. So no, I, I've, I've, um, so you'll be aware of the the concept of of marginal gains in performance, Dave Brailsford and all those sorts of guys, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and that like diving deep is so is so good for for particular type of person um that's that's not my reality um so I, I will tend to i will tend to pivot or shift once once the once the gains have started to to um to flatten now so what what that means is i i'm not a mile deep in anything because I will then try and run an angle whereby I get onto a different curve where I've got huge gains, and that's why you know if you look at my CV, I've got, I've, I'm pretty broad across a number of areas of of sport because I've tried to 
to actively exploit uh, avenues where there are just huge gains. But then once those gains start to dry off, that's when I start to, to, to pivot. Now, that is not the right thing for, for everyone. You know, some people need to, you know, eke out every last 1%. That's just not what fuels my fire. So my answer needs to be interpreted with caution because I don't think it should necessarily be applied across the board. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the way I, I tend to do it unless there is an, an enormous passion piece where I go, well, geez, um, uh, I need to eke out every last half a percent. I don't have many of those in my in my life. And I can appreciate that. But Dave, give yourself some credit. You're also not a dilettante, you know, and I think there is something to be said with that, right? Like you don't have to be, I I don't think it's as black and white as either I go a mile deep in everything or I just kind of dabble in it, right? Like you're purposeful in what you do touch on. You know, I don't think you ever just go there and like explore something just for the sake of exploring it as it pertains to the care of your athletes or anything like that. So even then, and and no worries about the disclaimer. I mean, I'll, I'll do it for you. Anybody listening to this, you got to find your own path. And you shouldn't need me or David to tell you that. This podcast isn't a prescription. This podcast is two people having a conversation. Um, but, you know, I think you do have to give yourself some credit. You're not, you're not a dilettante in any capacity. And that's why I say, like, you know, when it's time to walk away from something, to your point, and, and maybe I misinterpreted this, do you think for some people – and not necessarily speaking to you, but do you think for some people they should know the difference between kind of harmonious passion versus obsessive? You know, like, do you control the activity? Does the activity control you? Because even if somebody does need to go super, super deep, is there a point where that can actually become harmful and they can develop tunnel vision or anything? I don't know. You know, tell, oh, yeah. educate me. Yeah, I, look, I, th- I think so. Um, but it's also an area whereby that's uh, if that's what gives you energy, if that's what fuels your fire, um, you know that that's uh, I think that's okay. So the 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 where it becomes harmful is where you're investing all of your time and something else of equal or greater importance suffers as a result. So if I if I sat down and looked at the GPS spot, the traces of every single one of my athletes um, on every single um, training session, that would take me all day, all night. Um, and you know what? You might pick up something. You might pick up the tiniest little thing. Okay. And you go, well, geez, that was worth it. But at the same time, my family has suffered. My reading has suffered. My extra study on a separate topic has started. My meditation has suffered. My exercise has started, has suffered. So I step back and go, well, geez, I, I made a 1% gain there, but I lost 27% in, in all these other areas. That's poor prioritising. Um, so it, it requires... It requires you to to step back and go. Well, what what are my obsessions, and is that is that a healthy obsession, which whereby things other things are not suffering? Which is exactly what you said about prioritizing. And my priorities shift fairly regularly, but but what doesn't shift? What don't shift are my values. I don't think um, my priorities now that Matilda is here, um, my eight month old 
daughter are, are very different to what they were nine months ago, you know? So, yeah. but, but my values of, of taking care of those closest to me have not changed. So, yeah, I think priorities need, need uh, assessing regularly, but I think your, your values need prioritising and your values need careful articulation. That's something that I do uh, quite regularly um, just to make sure that I'm living life according to my values. And so I need to be explicit in what they are and to be able to um, ensure that I'm spending the requisite amount of time um, building and living in accordance with those values. Easier said than done, right? Oh, yeah, of course it is. Of course it is, and because there are so many distractions to try and take you away from that. But I think <laughs> what, what, you try, what I try and do is, is make sure that every one of my major decisions is in, in accordance with my, my values and my principles. So... Um, and but equally, you've got guardrails in place to ensure that either people or or, or the the environment will tell you if you if you're going off. You know, I I value so greatly the people that I surround myself with, and their honesty to say, "Listen, Joyce, you, you you're off track here." Um, I know that's hard for people, but I do that with my greatest friends and. And I, and I hope that's reciprocated as well. Yeah, I think that's a great piece, man. And, and this is building off that. This is how I'm going to leave it because I want to, I want this last piece here. And this, this may be uncomfortable for you, but don't worry, don't worry about pleasing everybody. And nobody <laughs> should take you as trying to come off as some all knowing, you know, authority or holy grail writing person on this. But I do want to end the podcast with this. If you were going to challenge politely and respectfully, of course, I just want to do that for you because I know you'll hit it if I don't. If you're going to challenge the listeners out there, regardless of the field that they're in, whether they're strength coaches, physios, firefighters, what have you, if you were going to challenge a podcast out or in the podcast, the listeners out there with one thing that they could do to improve their communication, their their ability to set values, their ability to uh, you know set barriers, or maybe even it could be some like some some folks want knowledge or advice about how to get a job and presenting themselves and their skill set. If you were going to give a challenge to anybody out there in order to help them improve their self-awareness or anything like that, what would it be? What's a challenge you, what's something take? Cause we want people literally to pull out a piece of paper and do something about this podcast rather than being like, Oh, yeah. that was a good episode. Now on a Netflix, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that that deep reflection about uh, your values and why you are placed on earth is so important because what it does is it gives the frame of reference for all your decision making after that and and so being able to articulate what it is that you stand for what it is that you that you will not stand for um will will give you the just it will it will just make your decisions so easy and, and therefore your decisions then become your habits and then your habits, you know, when repeated become your identity and it works the other way around as well. So, um, but you can't do that if you are just, you know, going from task to task to task to task to task. So, um, you know, I, it's interesting. So I, I'm, I'm not a particularly religious guy. I think I'm a respectful agnostic but I, I, I think, but I come from a long line of, like my, all my mum's side were were fairly, um, you know, devout Catholics, 
And so I grew up as a Catholic. Um, and, you know, you, you, you go to um, confession and you get given the, you know, the, the penance of saying 10 Hail Marys or whatever it is. Um, I, the way that is framed as being, um, you know, you, you're praying to God or whatever, but actually the way I think about it now, not that I do it now, but it is it's basically just it's it's a form of meditation and it's it's being able to to focus your thought on one particular aspect and then what what ends up by happening is that you spend time in your own head working out what is really important to you some people do it by meditation some people do it by exercise without listening to a podcast whatever it's it's developing what is the critical essence of who you are and what it is that you believe in if you then are able to distill and deeply understand that and use that as your frame of reference for your decision making, I think what that does is enable you to form a pretty strong picture of who you are in the present and who you want to be in the future. Um, and then that once you've got that, that groundwork done, it then enables you to layer on your communication method, your coaching method, your your teaching method, whatever it is that it uh, that it is that enables you to to be the spark that or to, to have the spark of how you want to to light your fires in the world so that is a really broad uh, philosophically um, you know uh, <laughs> dense answer to what is a fairly specific question but um, I think being able to spend some time working out what what it is that you value, being able to write that down and making sure that every day that you're living in accordance with that will help, uh, or it's helped me, and I think that that would, I can understand how it would help most people. Perfect. I think, it, and I just add on what you said, be accountable to yourself. Yeah. Right? Like, just be accountable to yourself. Like, Find, find the things you value in. And like you said, go through deep reflection, whatever that is, whatever you believe in, but like find a way that you have to be accountable or there's a consequence for you not doing it. Cause I know how easy it is for people to just be like, oh, it's good advice, you know, whatever. And they're just not going to do this shit. They're not going to do it. They're just going to sit there and be like, oh, they'll ask themselves a couple questions in their head or they feel like they do it at their staff review. None of you do it at your staff review. Mm. And if you do, it's not deep enough. Like make it mildly offensive. I'm, I'm saying this, David's not. I'm just, I'm going to go way on the other extreme and say like, Make it mildly offensive in terms of you challenging yourself. Like make it uncomfortable to do. Um, I think that's that's critically valuable. David, I've taken way too much of your time, man, but you're definitely somebody, whether you, I have to do it dragging you, kicking and screaming or whatever, you're coming on for a part two. Anybody, anybody listening, you tell me what you want to hear because David's somebody you can listen to easily for two and a half, three hours. I can't thank you enough, man. Uh, no, it's a pleasure, and I've I've really enjoyed this because I think we're exploring hugely fertile territory that is not often explored in in the the podcast that that um, that most of us listen to. So I, I I really I really thank you for your time and your your brilliant questions and 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 for everything that you're doing for for no I I, I, I say this but not flippantly not just for our industry but for our society. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Where can people get a hold of you, Dave? Uh, I'm I'm semi 
semi-frequently <laughs> put things on, not even semi-frequently, or whatever is less than semi-frequently, um, on Twitter at David G. Joyce. Um, but people, if wanted, they wanted to email me, is uh, david.joyce at gwsgiants.com.au. Great. And as always, guys, this will be in the show notes. For all of you listening, keep your recommendations coming in. Keep your feedback coming in. And please tell 10 people you know about the podcast if it's helped you in any way. We're always looking to build and bring purposeful people into the Art of Coaching Coalition. Your time's appreciated, your attention's appreciated, and your support's never taken for granted. Till next time, guys. Appreciate it. Dave, take care. Thanks, Brett. See ya. Wait, 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 wait. Before you go, glad I caught you. Listen, there's a lot of people that think that I just have social media, podcasts, and, and YouTube. Guys, there are so many more resources uh, if this stuff interests you. Um, first of all, if you haven't checked out the book, I'd be honored if you would. It's on Amazon worldwide. It's called Conscious Coaching. Uh, we have a free field guide. There's so many resources I try to provide online, free eBooks, free downloads. If you just go to artofcoaching.com, check out the free resources. There's also online courses. So whether you're interested in the coaching, communication, psychology side, we have an online course called Bought In. Uh, that is a great resource. It's research-backed, and it applies to every profession. You do not have to be a strength and conditioning coach. Literally, I use the term strength coach and athlete because that's what I do. But just like you read uh, an article or a book by a former Navy SEAL or somebody that owns a company in Silicon Valley, all these things are relatable to other fields. Also, if you're looking more into career management, whether that's you trying to learn more about marketing, contract negotiation, networking, resume writing, all these things that go into the messiness of trying to create and cultivate a sustainable career, we have a course for that as well. It's called Valued. Both of those are found on artofcoaching.com. Remember, the podcasts and all these other things, you know, they're I can only share so much and we try to do it in so many other mediums. So please, I'd be honored at your support. We try to make sure and donate a percentage of the proceeds every year to either fight Alzheimer's, uh, cancer research. We, uh, we donate to local police forces. We try to do a lot of different things and we can only do that with your support. Thanks again for listening to the podcast and I hope you enjoy those resources.